Hello, kiddies. It's your old pal, the librarian. Do not, under any circumstances, inject yourself with disinfectant to protect yourself from COVID-19, for Christ's sake. <laughs> Unless you want to see me in the flesh, or the unfleshed, that is. Everyone take care of yourselves, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye, kiddies. <laughs> Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. You're listening to the Wicked Library. <laughs> access to the wicked archives do you well it takes money to keep the lights on and keep our beasties fed trust me you don't want them hungry they might just start eating the writers and then where would we be visit our patreon page at patreon.com slash wicked library and pledge your support to the show for two dollars a month i'll give you a key to our collection of classic episodes For $5 a month, I'll let you hear the bonus stories before the rest of our listeners. Even more tantalizing rewards await for those who want to sacrifice more to us. (laughs) Over 70 classic episodes are lurking deep in the private area of the library, just waiting to be heard by you. Pledge yourself to the library today, and you'll be ours forever. You're going to like it here, I think. (laughs) How much is it for people to enjoy the private area of the librarian, Dan? Hello, and welcome to episode number 1005 of the Wicked Library. I'm Daniel Foytek, and I thank you for listening. A big thank you to those who took the time to rate us five stars and write a short review for us on iTunes. Your ratings do help others find the show, and we love hearing from you. The librarian asked me to remind you that our first written anthology, 13 Wicked Tales, is available on Amazon in print and Kindle, and packed with great tales by some of your favorite authors from the show. The book also features beautiful cover art and illustrations by Jeanette Andromeda. It's a fantastic collection, and we know you'll want a copy for your own Wicked Library. Get yours now at thewickedlibrary.com forward slash read. As always, before we get started today, a big thank you to those who are supporting the show. Without you, this show would not be possible. On behalf of our authors and everyone else involved in making the show, a sincere thank you for your support of this show and of independent horror fiction. If you're not yet supporting the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. Today's episode features a dark tale by returning author and multiple Bram Stoker Award winner, Al Goingback, with a story from his collection, Tribal Screams, called Keeper of Souls. We'd like to congratulate Al on winning the Bram Stoker Award for Superior Achievement in a Novel for Coyote Rage and for being awarded a 2019 Bram Stoker Lifetime Achievement Award. Today is Al's fourth time on the show, and we're always honored to share one of his tales. 
Today's storyteller is one of your favorite voice actors, the very talented Graham Rowett, accompanied by a custom score written by our resident composer, Nico Viteze of We Talk of Dreams. Please, if you enjoy the story, find Owl's work and buy it. It keeps him making more. You can learn more about Owl and find links to his work on his bio page at thewickedlibrary.com. Now, let's get wicked. Digging Owl opened his eyes, but could not tell if morning had arrived. The tiny dungeon room was windowless, the stone walls as cold and hard as the hearts of his Spanish captors. A torch of resinous wood was set in a bracket high on the far wall, but its amber glow did little to push back the darkness, revealing only a few of the forty or so other occupants of the room. Naked and enchained, they were wedged together so tightly there was barely enough room to sit, let alone lie down. Members of several different tribes from the land their captors dubbed Florida, they had survived the journey across the big water in the belly of a Spanish ship, the same miserable journey Digging Owl had made. Most of the others had been prisoners for years. Some had been forced to labor in the mines and slave camps of the islands before being brought to Spain. From the shadows beyond the glow of the torch came moans of pain and the sounds of someone gagging. Sickness had descended over the occupants of the room, bringing with it vomiting and diarrhea. A few feet away, a woman prayed for death to come and end her suffering. As a medicine man, Digging Owl, though suffering from sickness himself, had done what he could to help the others. But the Spaniards had taken his medicine pouch from him, leaving him with nothing to offer but prayers. There was the sound of metal on metal from the far end of the room. A lock was turning, and the door opened with a squeak. Light spilled across the stone floor, illuminating even more naked bodies. Digging owls squinted against the glare as two Spanish soldiers entered the room, holding torches above their heads. They stepped to the side of the doorway, allowing an Indian woman to enter. The woman, naked except for a small piece of fabric covering her loins, carried a wooden bucket of water and a small metal cup. She moved amongst the prisoners, offering drinks to those with the strength to receive them. Digging Owl watched with interest as the woman approached him. She was young, probably in her early twenties, her hair long and dark. Her body was oddly free of tattoos, except for a large C branded on her left cheek. The C was a Spanish brand of ownership, it stood for the island they called Cubagua. The woman had obviously once been a slave there. The woman dipped the cup into the bucket and offered it to him. Noticing the tattoos on his chest and shoulders, her eyes went wide with surprise. Her hands trembled slightly, causing some of the water to spill from the cup. Digging Owl grabbed her hand to steady it. Careful, little sister, he said, taking the cup of water from her. This is much too precious to waste. She looked quickly behind her to see if any of the guards were watching. None were. You are the holy man, she said, squatting in front of him. It was more of a statement than a question. Digging Owl nodded. I am a holy man, but if you are sick, I can offer no cures. They have taken my medicine. She shook her head. I am not sick, but there are others who need your help. He shrugged and showed her his manacled wrists. That does not matter. Some things do not require the use of hands. What is your tribe, your village? I am Timuquan, 
My village is Kasti. Recognition showed in her eyes. The Tamukwans are said to have powerful medicine. Know you of the one called Takachali? Digging Owl nodded. It is said she lives in the forest near the village of Okali. It is she who guards the fountain of eternal life. Many have tried to possess the sacred waters, but all have failed. So I have heard, she said. But tell me, little sister, how it is you know of such things. You speak my language, yet your body is unmarked. Are you Tamukwan? She shook her head. I was born a slave, and have served the Spaniards all my life, first in the silver mines, and now here in the castle. I am named for the village of my people, a village that no longer exists. I am called Tawasa. The destroyed village of Tawasa lay four days' travel to the south of Digging Owl's home, near the junction of two small rivers. The Tawasan warriors had tried to stop the Spaniards' encroachment upon their land, but failed. Those not killed were taken as slaves, along with their wives and children. The village was burned to the ground. You said you knew of my coming. How? There's much talk in the castle. The king speaks of bringing one who has the gift of sight, one who can see into the future. So that was the reason for his capture. His village had always been friendly toward the Spaniards. Knowing of their cruelty to others, the chief thought it was best to pay a tribute to the Spaniards in food and labor, rather than allow them to forcibly take what they wanted. Digging Owl had helped out by accompanying one of their expeditions, accurately forewarning them of any danger along the way. It was just after such a prediction that the soldiers, under the orders of their leader, turned on him, taking away his medicine pouch and shackling him in chains. And if I refuse to help? Digging Owl asked. Then they will kill you, and the others as well. She took the empty cup from him. There's a man named Antonio, a priest. He is a member of the Holy Office, in charge of what is called the Inquisition. He and the other priests torture and kill all those who do not believe in their god. Many have already died. Many more are imprisoned. I have heard that he is very angry that you have been brought here. You must be careful. He has the king's ear and is very jealous of anyone with power. She stood up and turned away. Digging Owl watched as she offered water to the others. A few minutes later, she was escorted out by the guards. The door slammed shut, casting them back into darkness. There was no way of telling time in the dungeon cell. Digging Owl suspected that a full day must have passed before the door again opened and three guards entered the room. Carrying candles, they weaved their way between the prisoners, stepping around or over those lying in their path. Stopping to shine their lights on the face of each prisoner, they at last made their way to Digging Owl. Circling him, two of the guards grabbed him from behind, dragging him to his feet. They turned and headed back across the room, taking Digging Owl with them. Digging Owl was led through the door and out into the dimly lit hallway. Still chained at the wrists and legs, he was marched through a series of passageways and up several flights of stairs to a small, circular room. Sunlight streamed into the room through a pair of narrow, rectangular windows. The windows, mere slits to shoot arrows through, were a welcome sight. It was the first time in days that he had seen the light of day or smelled fresh air. From where he stood, Digging Owl could look out over the surrounding countryside. The land beyond the castle was barren-looking, with empty fields and stunted trees. There were no great forests where a man could be on his own to hunt and fish like in the land of his people. 
Instead, houses and villages of stone dotted the plain like a repulsive rash. No wonder the Spaniards want our land. Theirs is dried up, dying. He was only allowed a moment to view the countryside. Shoved from behind, he was marched out of the circular room and down another hallway. Unlike the previous hallways they had passed through, this one was brightly lit with both windows and candles. Colorful tapestries depicting scenes of battle decorated the walls. Digging Owl ran his finger over one of the tapestries, amazed at the softness of the material. How can those who create beauty such as this have hatred in their hearts for others? The hallway emptied into a large room. Digging Owl was halfway across the room before realizing they had arrived at their destination. The room's floor was of polished stone, its ceiling trimmed in gold. Tapestries and paintings decorated three of the walls. Red curtains covered the fourth. Two massive wooden chairs sat in front of the curtained wall, midway along its length, elevated upon a raised section of floor. One of the chairs was empty. In the other sat a young man dressed in clothing of bright yellow and reds. He was a thin man with a pale complexion, dark hair, and a beard. His eyes bulged slightly, and his mouth hung open, as though something was not quite right with his mind. If it wasn't for the crown he wore, Digging Owl would never have guessed that he was standing before Charles, the King of Spain, the most powerful man in the world. Behind the king stood four armed soldiers, his personal guards, while to his left stood a man dressed in a long black robe, a priest. It was the priest, more than the king, that drew Digging Owl's attention. A short, thin man with a cruel face and eyes, he had an aura of negative energy so strong it was almost a physical blow. Stopping a few paces in front of the king, the guards ordered Digging Owl to kneel. When he refused, they shoved him roughly to the floor. The king leaned forward in his chair, watching Digging Owl with open curiosity. This is the great soothsayer I was promised, he asked, a noticeable stutter to his voice. I think my money could be best spent elsewhere. It is true, your majesty. One of the soldiers standing behind the king spoke up. Digging Owl recognized him as being a member of the expedition he had accompanied. I have seen it for myself. If not for his predictions, we would have been ambushed many times. A sorcerer, one of Satan's own, the priest said, his voice cold with malice. He should be burned. The king laughed. Have you not enough to keep you busy in the dungeons, Antonio? The king turned his attention back to Digging Owl. Do you speak Spanish? Digging Owl nodded. A little. Actually, he spoke Spanish fairly well. He'd learned during his time with the expedition. Good. Then there will be no need of an interpreter. Very well. Show us what powers you have. Tell me of the f future. Digging Owl looked around and shrugged. I cannot. I do not have the things I need. He lies, said the priest. He only stalls for time. He has no power. The king held up his hand for silence. Tell me what you need and my men will get it. I need the leather bag that was taken from me. It contains the things I need. The king turned to the soldier from the expedition. Have we such a bag? Yes, your majesty. It was turned over to the treasury for safekeeping. Then go and fetch it, but bring it here. The soldier bowed, walked briskly across the room, and exited through the doorway. Digging Owl's heart leaped with joy. 
He'd feared that his medicine pouch was lost forever. The items it contained were irreplaceable, for they were objects of power. Gifts from the Great Spirit. Anything else? The king asked. Digging Owl nodded. I will need the room to be made dark and a small fire. Here. He pointed at the floor in front of him. I will also need food and water. So be it. The king nodded. He motioned to one of his guards. Cover the windows with tapestries and build a fire where he stands, and bring this man some food and water. The food is not for me, Digging Owl interrupted. I want only the water. There are others in the rooms below who hunger. The king cocked an eyebrow at Digging Owl, then smiled. You drive a hard bargain. Is there anything else? No, Digging Owl said. He seated himself cross-legged on the floor, watching as the soldiers covered the windows to block out the sunlight and build a small fire in front of him. A short time later, his medicine pouch was brought to him. A flagon of water was also brought. Wiping his hands on his breechcloth, Digging Owl opened the leather pouch and removed a small wooden bowl. The inside surface of the bowl was painted solid black, while its outside was decorated with symbols representing different animals. Setting it in front of him, he slowly filled it with water. The blackness of the bowl caused the water to also look black. Setting the water jug back down, Digging Owl scooted the bowl closer to the fire until the glow of the flames were reflected in the water. He was ready to begin the seeing ceremony. What is it you wish to know? Digging Owl asked. King Charles leaned forward in his chair, his eyes wide with anticipation. I will wish to know all that you see about the country to the north of Spain, France. I will want to know about Francis I, its leader. Is he planning to invade Navarre? Can we defeat him? Will we be able to drive France out of Milan once and for all? The questions made little sense to Digging Owl. All he knew was that Charles was worried about this place called France. Could there be another country powerful enough to oppose Spain? I will do what I can. Digging Owl said. Taking a deep breath, he began to quietly pray. At the same time, he gazed at the flickering reflection in the water, allowing his mind to relax. Almost immediately, a tingling began in his toes as the energies and powers he called upon entered his body. The sensation spread upward, causing a numbness in his legs, a stirring in his loins. His breathing slowed, his shoulders slumped. As the tingling reached his chest and upper torso, his body began to contort, his arms and legs thrashing about on their own. Digging Owl, his mind still focused on the bowl of water, barely noticed the contortions. He'd become accustomed to such things. The tingling, like an almost unbearable itch, poured over his face, causing his lips to pull back from his teeth. It entered his head, flooding his mind with a rush of energy. His eyes rolled back as he fell backward, his body convulsing on the floor. The tingling pushed onward, found an invisible doorway in the top of his head, and exited his body. It took his spirit with it. There was the nauseating sensation of speed as Digging Owl's spirit left his body, racing to where it was being asked to go, into the future. Images of a vast countryside flashed through his mind. Villages of many buildings with fortresses of stone appeared and disappeared, giving way to mountains taller than he had ever seen before. 
In the fertile valleys between those mountains, soldiers gathered and prepared for war. The soldiers were like the Spaniards, yet dressed differently. Since they approached from the north, Digging Owl guessed that they were the French army the king had asked about. In what could only have been minutes but seemed like days, Digging Owl watched several battles take place. Victories went to both sides as the two opposing forces fought for control of the mountainous region. In the end, it was the French who finally fell back. Satisfied that he'd seen what he had been asked to see, Digging Owl allowed his spirit to continue its journey. He thought he would return to his body, but instead found himself being pulled to the west, to a walled village beside a river. The name Tordesillas popped into his head, but he knew not what it meant. He assumed it was the name of the village. A darkness seemed to hang over Tordesillas, a sadness. The feeling came from the largest building in the village, a fortress of stone towers and iron bars. Before he realized what was happening, Digging Owl found himself inside that building in one of its many rooms. He was not alone in the room. With him was a woman. She wore a long blue dress, her dark hair tied up in a matching ribbon. Her skin was very pale, as though it had been a long time since she'd walked in the warmth of the sun. She sat on the floor, her shoulders hunched, staring blankly at the bare wall in front of her. The woman's eyes were filled with sadness the eyes of one who'd known much suffering and pain. In the brief instant that Digging Owl shared the room with the woman, he learned everything about her. How she was being kept a prisoner against her will. How others were saying she was crazy, though her mind was quite sound. He also learned her name and who she was. She was Juana, the mother of King Charles. Why would the king keep his own mother locked away in such misery? The vision started to blur and fade, but before he did, Digging Owl knew the answer to his question. Because she is the legal ruler of Spain. Digging Owl found himself back in his body, staring up at a ceiling covered with gold. He quickly sat up and looked around. The king and his men were staring at him, their faces grim. Obviously, his body's contortions, which always accompanied his seeing, had terrified them greatly. A few moments passed before the king found his voice. You have seen something? Digging Owl nodded. Tell me. I have seen a great army marching from the north. Yes, yes, go on, the king ordered. There will be many battles. Villages will trade hands. Much blood will flow. But who will win? You will, Digging Owl said. King Charles smiled, satisfied with the outcome of the future. Lies, hissed the priest. He has not seen the future, your majesty. He tells you only what you wish to hear. King Charles turned to the priest, then back to Digging Owl. How can I be sure that you speak the truth, that what you say will come to pass? I have seen other things. What things? Charles asked. I have seen a village many days travel from here. In this village, a woman is being kept, a prisoner, shut off from those she loves. It is believed this woman is crazy, yet it is not so. What is said about her are only lies to keep her locked away. Her name is Juana. She is your mother, the one whose place you have stolen. Charles leaped from his seat. The liar! He shouted, his face twisting with rage. 
He strode toward Digging Owl, raising his staff as though to strike him. Digging Owl remained seated. I only tell you what I have seen, Digging Owl said. Charles halted, suddenly aware of the others in the room watching him. He lowered the staff. You know not what you see, savage. He nodded toward the guards. Take him away, but place him in a cell by himself, away from the others. With that, the King of Spain turned his back on Digging Owl and walked away, leaving the throne room through a private doorway hidden behind the curtains. Digging Owl was grabbed by two of the guards and yanked to his feet. He was led out of the other doorway and returned to the dungeons by the same way he'd been brought. But this time, instead of being placed with the others, he was tossed into a much smaller cell. He only had a moment to survey his new surroundings before the door slammed shut behind him. The walls were of grey stones, wet with moisture and spotted with white patches of mold. The floor of the cell was covered with a thin layer of straw that smelled of sweat, excrement, and urine. On two of the walls, chains and shackles had been set into the stones. The conditions were made that much more unbearable by the fact that he was completely alone, with no one to talk to or share his thoughts with. Worse yet, as the door closed behind him, Digging Owl realized that the guards had not furnished him with a candle or torch. He was cast into complete darkness. It might have been only a short time since the door closed behind him. It might have been days. Digging Owl did not know. After some thought, he decided to explore his surroundings further. Such a feat was no easy task in darkness so deep he couldn't see his own hand in front of his face. But he was determined to try anyway. Perhaps there was some way to free himself from the tiny room. Sitting on the floor, Digging Owl pushed himself back until he touched the stone wall. Turning to his right, he lay down on his stomach, his body parallel to the wall. Moving slowly, he began to pull himself along the length of the wall using his elbows and forearms. In the darkness, his eyes were useless, so he allowed his fingers to be his eyes for him. He felt along the floor and wall, searching for a loose stone or crack in the mortar, something that with a little effort he might widen to facilitate an escape. He found nothing by the time he reached the first corner. Turning left, he crawled his way along the second wall until he reached another corner. He'd only gone about two body lengths down the third wall when a whiff of cool air caressed his face. Exploring with his fingers, he found that he'd reached the door. Sitting up, Digging Owl traced along the edge of the door, hoping to find a crack or niche he could use to his advantage. Unfortunately, the door was set flush in the wall. He doubted that he could have opened it, even if he had possessed the tools to do so. Discouraged, he continued on. On the other side of the door, he discovered a bowl of water and a few pieces of stale bread. Thanking the great spirit for the find, he tore off a piece of bread and began chewing it slowly. Whatever their plans for him... It was obvious his captors did not want him to starve to death. Digging Owl started to tear off another piece of bread, but his hand brushed against something else lying in the darkness. His heart raced as he ran his fingers along the leather bundle, touching the tiny shells sewn along its edges, feeling the familiar shapes of its contents. My medicine pouch. Why was it here? Why had he been allowed to keep it? Did the Spaniards hold his medicine in such low regard that they felt it wasn't worth keeping? Or were they planning on asking him to again see the future at a later date? Either way, he was extremely glad to have the pouch, 
for it might provide the means of discovering a way out. Picking up the pouch, Digging Owl slid across the floor until his back was against the wall opposite the door. Sitting cross-legged, he set the pouch on his lap and untied the leather cord that held it closed. He knew what every item was, so even in the darkness, it only took a moment to find what he was looking for. Selecting a smooth stone that he knew without seeing was as clear as water, he resealed the pouch, setting it beside him. Holding the stone tight in his left fist, he sang a prayer. As he did, he felt it begin to pulsate, like a tiny heart, and radiate heat. It was only a mild warmth at first, but it quickly increased until it was all he could do to continue holding the stone. The vision bowl used to predict the king's future was not the only means Digging Owl had of seeing. In fact, of all his medicine objects, it was probably the least powerful. That was exactly why he'd used it. If the Spaniards were to learn the powers of his other objects, they might take them or force him to use them for evil purposes. As the stone heated up, a familiar tingling started in his left hand, quickly spreading up his arm. The sensation spread across his chest, down his other arm, and into his lower torso. The muscles in his legs began to twitch as mild surges of energy coursed through them. The skin around his temples pulled tight, making his scalp itch. As he had with the vision bowl, he felt the energy surge into his head and blend with his spirit. And as before, he felt the tiny invisible doorway open in the top of his head, allowing his spirit to be free of the flesh encasing it. But unlike earlier, Digging Owl did not let his spirit race forward through time, nor did he allow it to fly. He kept a tight rein on it, making sure it remained in the here and now. Invisible to all but those of medicine, Digging Owl's spirit looked exactly like the body that encased it, minus the breechcloth. Casting a brief glance back at his body, he glided across the room and through the locked door. Time was running out for him. What he'd said earlier to King Charles about his imprisoned mother had enraged him. Digging Owl guessed that the king was terrified that others would find out that his claim to the throne was false. It wouldn't be long before the king decided to silence Digging Owl forever. But what evil could cause a man to lock away his own mother? Could the Spaniards be so corrupt that they would do such a thing without a second thought? Was their thirst for power so great that it could not be shared? Moving into the corridor, Digging Owl retraced his previous journey to the upper levels of the castle. He slowed down as he passed two guards. Though he could not be seen, his presence could be felt as a slight wind or a cool draft. As he slipped past the guards, the flames of the candles on the wall behind them flickered slightly. Reaching the upper levels, he quickly crossed the throne room, searching for the room that must lie beyond, one of which had to be the king's sleeping quarters. There were many rooms in the castle, and the searching took longer than he'd anticipated. Every moment he spent away from his body was dangerous. There was no telling what would happen if a guard discovered his body without its spirit. Digging Owl was about to give up his quest and return to his body when he found what he was looking for. He located the king's chamber on the level above the throne room. It was decorated with layers of deep red fabrics, etched vessels of crystal, and numerous items of gold. In the center of the room, upon a raised dais, sat a massive bed, framed by four pedestals of ebony wood and crowned by a canopy of the finest silk. The king looked like a little boy in such a big bed his pale face illuminated by the moonlight streaming in through an open window. 
Still not knowing why he'd come, or what he could possibly do to procure his freedom, Digging Owl moved to the foot of the bed. There he stood, looking down at the most powerful monarch in all the world. Had he been in the flesh, he would have killed the king to avenge the suffering of his people. But while he was in the spirit form, even his most violent attack would be but a gentle caress of wind. Instead, Digging Owl willed himself to relax, turning off the tiny voice that always spoke inside his head. With the voice gone, he was able to listen to another tiny voice, that of the king's. The king's troubled thoughts came bubbling up like water from an underground stream. They were confusing, and it took a great effort to decipher them. They were mostly thoughts of conquest and power, and of those who had ruled Spain in the past. Picking through the thoughts, Digging Owl learned of a woman named Isabel and her husband Fernando. They had united several squabbling provinces into the powerful empire of Spain. It was Isabel who ordered the torture and deaths of all those whose faith was different from her own, and it was her hand that had signed the document allowing the soldiers to enslave and murder Digging Owl's people. Digging Owl probed further, learning of the tragedies that befell the children of Isabel and Fernando. He saw the death of her only son, Juan, barely six moons after his marriage, and the death of her oldest daughter, also named Isabel, ten moons after that. He witnessed the suffering of the one called Juana, the one he'd seen in the vision, as her husband turned against her, then her father, and finally her son, Charles. At first, Digging Owl thought that a curse must have been placed on the royal family, perhaps by one who had died because of the orders of Isabel. But he quickly dismissed the idea. Whatever plagued the family had been around long before the time of the Inquisition, long before the one called Columbus set sail for the land of Digging Owl's people. Stepping closer, he broke the contact with the king's mind and began looking at his body instead. He squinted his eyes and cocked his head slightly, studying the face and outline of the young monarch. A blackness, like a shadow, clung to the body of the king. It was the same blackness worn by the sick and dying, but this was not a sickness of the flesh. It was one of the spirit. Looking closer, Digging Owl realized he could only see two spirits aligned within the body of Charles. One of the king's souls was missing. Digging Owl looked again, just to be sure. There was no mistake. The king only had two spirits. Could it be that the Spaniards only had two souls? Digging Owl didn't think so. As far as he knew, everyone had three. One soul was the tiny light in the pupil of the eyes. Another was the shadow that each person makes. The third was the image one sees in clear water. Even the Spaniards he'd accompanied on the expedition had three souls. So where was the king's other soul? Had it wandered off? Doubtful. If it had, it would have left a trail clearly visible to anyone of medicine. No. Someone had taken Charles's soul. That same someone could have also taken souls from the other family members. That would explain all the suffering. But who would do such a thing? And why? As he pondered over the whereabouts of the missing soul, the door to the king's chamber opened and someone entered the room. Digging Owl was so surprised he almost ran for a hiding place before remembering he was invisible. It was the priest named Antonio who entered the room, the same priest who'd stood beside the king's throne. Closing the door behind him, the priest made his way quickly to the king's bedside. Digging Owl expected him to wake the king, for he moved like a man on urgent business, 
Instead, Antonio leaned closer to the bed, pulling something from beneath his robe. It was a tiny glass bottle, fastened around his neck by a gold chain. The bottle was a translucent blue. In it, something glowed and wiggled about as though alive. Digging Owl knew at once that the priest possessed the missing soul of King Charles, and the person who owned the king's soul also controlled the king. Leaning forward, the priest whispered, Time is running out. You must act now. Your mother is a danger to you as long as she lives. She must be killed, but it must be made to look like an accident. Only then can you rule Spain with a free hand. Only then... He stopped suddenly, turning his head to the left, looking straight at Digging Owl. Though he hadn't moved, hadn't made a sound, Digging Owl was certain the priest could see him. Worse yet, as Antonio's eyes began to glow red with a fire all their own, Digging Owl realized that the man before him was not really a priest after all, nor was he a man. You, hissed the priest, his voice becoming more animal than man. His eyes glowed brighter as his body began to change, shaking off its disguise. Digging Owl stepped back in fear. The priest's body shimmered like smoke over a cooking fire. The black robe, no longer a necessary part of the disguise, fell to the floor. What once was a man became something far more terrifying, a shapeshifter. Digging Owl watched in horror as fingers lengthened and sprouted claws teeth became fangs. The priest's lower jaw cracked and popped like logs on a fire, his face elongating into that of a wolf. His body hunched, shortened, and grew muscular. Hair sprouted, thick and dark, like grass after a spring rain. The transformation complete, Digging Owl stood staring at something that could only have sprung from the loins of the Evil One. It was this creature, born of darkness, that had stolen the king's soul and possibly the souls of the leaders before him, manipulating the Spanish monarchy to cause the greatest suffering to millions. Worse yet, it was about to add Digging Owl's soul to its collection. There was no place to run, no time to flee. Though he was still in spirit form, the shapeshifter could easily kill him, for it was a creature of darkness, existing in both the physical and the spiritual worlds. Digging Owl braced himself as the creature lunged for him, but it knocked him over as easily as one bends a blade of grass. Across the floor they rolled, Digging Owl trying desperately to keep away from the creature's deadly fangs. He grabbed its wrists, but it changed into mist and slipped between his fingers. Once free, the shapeshifter changed back into a beast and resumed the attack. Claws ripped across Digging Owl's side, sending tiny rivers of fire through him. He screamed in pain. The shapeshifter changed from a wolf to a cat, then to a serpent, and back again to a wolf. You cannot kill me, seer, it taunted, for I am too powerful. The blood of the Dark One flows through my veins. I will destroy you as I have destroyed your people. The shapeshifter made a diving lunge, grabbing Digging Owl's left leg and tripping him. As he fell, Digging Owl brought his right leg up and stomped on the shapeshifter's face, freeing his other leg. Jumping to his feet, he ran for the doorway, but the shapeshifter cut him off. The only exit blocked, Digging Owl took advantage of being in spirit form and dove headfirst through the floor. He felt a slight tingling as he passed through stone, falling from the king's bedroom to the throne room. 
The maneuver must have thrown the shapeshifter off, for Digging Owl made it across the room without the creature coming after him. He was just about to leave through an open doorway when the shapeshifter burst into the room from the other side. Digging Owl was knocked backward. Powerful hands wrapped around his throat, claws digging into his neck. He lashed out, striking at the shapeshifter's head and chest, trying to break free. His right hand brushed against something smooth, cold. The bottle. An idea sprang into Digging Owl's head. He reached out and grabbed the tiny glass bottle hanging from the shapeshifter's neck. Yanking hard, he broke the gold chain. Realizing what was happening, the shapeshifter released its hold on Digging Owl's neck and snatched at the bottle. It was the break Digging Owl was hoping for. Twisting, Digging Owl tore free of the creature's grasp. He did not run to get away this time. He flew, tucking the bottle against his chest and sealing it in a protective layer of energy. Digging Owl flew through the doorway as fast as he could. There was a roar of rage from behind him as the shapeshifter gave pursuit. Through hallways and downstairs, Digging Owl flew. He started to head towards the dungeons, hoping to re-enter his body, but then he realized it would be a fatal mistake. If he did regain his body, there would not be time to work any medicine to defend himself. Worse yet, there was only one way in or out of the dungeons. He would be trapped. No, he had another idea. He turned left at the next passageway he came to. A quick glance behind him showed that he was still being chased. A patch of darkness, deeper than the surrounding shadows, raced along the corridor behind him. In its passing, torches flickered out and flowers wilted. Another turn brought Digging Owl back to the throne room. Standing in the center of the room, looking wildly about, Digging Owl searched for something he'd seen earlier. Where is it? It has to be here. This is the right room, isn't it? Just as he thought he'd chosen the wrong room, he spotted what he was looking for. At the same instant, the shapeshifter burst upon the scene. As Digging Owl ran across the room, the shadow turned back into a beast again. Reaching the corner of the room, Digging Owl turned around to face it. Here, he yelled, holding out the bottle. Is this what you want? Come and get it. Howling in rage, the shapeshifter raced toward him. Digging Owl hesitated for a moment, waiting until the creature was upon him, and then threw the bottle at a large mirror on the opposite wall. The creature leaped after it. The shapeshifter caught the bottle in midair, but could not stop itself from crashing against the mirror, crashing against it, and vanishing inside of it. There was a flash of blue lightning and a clap of thunder loud enough to shake the castle. The mirror exploded outward, its glass shattering into tiny pieces. Its gilded frame rattled and fell to the floor. As it did, a scream of agony, of a soul being shredded, rent the night. It was followed by a silence so complete, so utterly final, that it gave Digging Owl chills. Digging Owl stared down at the pieces of glass lying on the floor. There were many doorways leading to the world where darkness lived, but only a few leading out. Though he had suspected it might be, Digging Owl had no way of knowing if the mirror was also a doorway. He'd only seen one such looking glass before, a small one, carried by one of the soldiers on the expedition he'd accompanied. Fortunately, his suspicions had paid off, and the mirror's surface, like the reflection on water, was indeed a portal to the home of the Evil One. With any luck... 
it would be a long time before the shapeshifter found its way back out. He awakened to the sound of keys jangling in a lock. A few seconds later, a bolt was thrown back, and his door opened. Digging Owl sat up and rubbed his eyes, ignoring the pain that racked his body. Two soldiers entered the room carrying torches. With them was the woman named Tawasa. As before, she carried a small pail of water, but unlike before, she was smiling, as though it was all she could do to contain her happiness. Crossing the room, she kneeled down before him. Tawasa frowned slightly as she noticed the claw marks on his body. The ones on his legs and neck were already scabbed over, but the ones on his side still bled. Though the shapeshifter had clawed his spirit, the marks had appeared on his flesh. They beat you, she asked. It is nothing, Digging Owl said, accepting the water she offered. As he drank, another guard entered the room carrying a large metal ring upon which hung several keys. Digging Owl raised his eyebrows in curiosity as the guard squatted down and began removing the chains from his legs. Tawasa could no longer contain her excitement. Good news! The king has ordered that all the prisoners in the castle are to be freed and sent home. Why? Digging Owl asked. I don't know, she shrugged. It makes no sense. I've never heard of the Spaniards freeing slaves. Maybe the king has had a change of heart. But we should hurry before he can change his mind. His legs free, the guard removed the chains from Digging Owl's wrists. Grabbing his medicine pouch, he followed Tawasa and the guards out the door and down the corridor. It felt good without chains again. To be free. As they rounded a corner, Digging Owl hung back until the others were out of sight. Reaching inside his medicine pouch, he removed the tiny blue bottle on the gold chain. Something inside the bottle shimmered and glowed, wanting to return to the body from which it had been stolen. Digging Owl was surprised the bottle hadn't broken when the shapeshifter crashed against the mirror. He was thankful, too. Even though a person had three souls, it was not easy stealing one away from the other two. But once you had possession of one of the souls, you held some control over that person. Of course, that control did have its limitations. There was no way Digging Owl could continue to manipulate Charles after returning to his own land. The distance was just too great. Besides, without all three of his souls, the king would eventually sicken and die, leaving the throne vacant for maybe an even worse monarch. Possession of the soul could also be dangerous if the shapeshifter ever returned to reclaim its stolen property. Wanting nothing more to do with shapeshifters or kings, Digging Owl decided that, once they were safely on board the ship, he would break the bottle, releasing the soul of Charles. Until then, however, having control over the Spanish monarch was just the thing he needed to unlock the door to freedom. He smiled as he slipped the bottle back into his medicine pouch. A change of heart? Maybe. But I don't think so. Let's go for a ride. There are many stories here. Like this place. Like many things here. Some have become lost. But all lost things yearn to be found, and all stories long to be told. I've searched through my building, gathering up stories from every floor. From the basement, 
to the ninth story and every floor in between. Stories of choice, of the hopeless, the redeemable and the lost. Stories that will unlock something inside of you and carry you through fear to your future. Get your copy of the Lift's First Anthology on Amazon in print and Kindle. Let's go for a read.